Good morning, afternoon or evening wherever you are in the world and welcome to the back row from what I watch tonight. My name is Matt Hudson and this is Retrospectives, my little series where I talk about a film that I love and I'm joined by somebody who happily also loves that film as well. So joining me in the back row tonight is Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears' biggest fan, potentially. One <laughs> half of the W-rated podcast is Claire Brunton. How on earth are you? Hi, uh, I'm good, <laughs> thank you. Uh, yes, I've really made a name for myself this year with my Lindsay Lohan love. I exposed uh, a part <laughs> of myself I had hidden for some years. <laughs> it was If you follow uh, Claire on socials, we'll give all the links out at the end. If you, if you do, you would have noticed that there was like a, a week like a period of time. Oh, it was like a just month. Lindsay Lohan. Oh, a month, sorry. I, <laughs> yeah, I really went for it. I'm being a bit too there. It was just Lindsay Lohan everywhere to the point where I started to become a fan. Yeah, I, I, I ignited a passion in a lot of people. Like, <laughs> I was trying to make something happen. Um, and like you mentioned Britney Spears. I was a big Britney Spears fan. And um, that the documentary Framing Britney Spears came yeah. out and it's obviously looked at how she was portrayed in the media and having just the month before spent all that time on Lindsay Lohan I'm now like um guys who wants to pay me to make the Framing Lindsay Lohan documentary because <laughs> like I can do it I'm I'm ready yeah, go fund me we'll give that link at the end as well it's gonna it's be actually being set up right now as we're talking um well I mentioned W rated it's your podcast you do with your co-host rather than me tell everyone about it what's it all about and what are the films you talk about? Um, so I run it with my friend Daisy um, and it's W rated for the worst rated movies. <laughs> so we are going through all 100 films on IMDb's bottom 100 list. Um, so it's a little bit complicated because to get on the bottom 100 list, you have to have a certain amount of uh, reviews from a certain amount of people and have had a theatrical release so there are some films that people would assume are on there that don't make the cut um, and then there are some surprising films on there as well so we've currently we're on I think we've recorded seven episodes so far but we've released five we've covered the Flintstones of Viva Rock Vegas we've covered a <laughs> Lindsay Lohan film which sort of spurred all of that I know who killed me and um, we've done films like Bratz and Jack and Jill and um, yeah, it's a real it's a real mush. We're holding off some of the terrible ones. Uh, Human Centipede two and three are both oh. on there. I've seen the first one. I found the first one quite funny. Um, I but think the first I... one was that bad. Like if, you know, for it's an art house art, art mm-hmm. flick. I don't think it was that bad. The no. second one though, and the third one. So I've not Ooh. seen either of those, but I've okay. read the synopsis for the second one. And having read the synopsis years ago, I was like, "Yep, I never need to see that." And yet, but here now. We are. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy that. Yeah. And like, it's a fluid list. So we're not doing it in any order. And at any yeah. point, a film can be added to it, depending on how the algorithm changes. Um, but I think the human centipede films are like 40 and 80. So they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I think they're on there for life. Having seen the films, they <laughs> they certainly belong in there. Again, I don't mind the first film. I, and no, I don't, again, I don't watch it and think, this is amazing. I love seeing people's asses and mouth stitched together. <laughs> But this, you know, it's this fine schlock. Yeah. The second one is just, yeah. And the yeah. third one, yeah. I'll, yeah. No spoilers about my thoughts then, but I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about it. Uh, but if you haven't listened to W-rated pod, uh, the W-rated podcast, do go check it out because it's a novel idea. Whereas on this show, we talk about films that, well, we perceive to be great. Obviously, W-rated takes that, spins it. But the, but it isn't just an over, it's not just a, 
a relentless bashing session, though, is it? No, no. So the it was actually my co-host Daisy's idea. She just wanted to set herself some challenges to, so that she wasn't watching all the same films. So she wanted to watch the top 100, but also decided she would watch the bottom 100 mm-hmm. and so um she is a very positive person much more positive than me <laughs> and so huh. she wanted to watch them all and kind of look at them and think are they really that bad and so that is we're going in with an open mind and establishing what what did people see that was so wrong does it deserve the hate that it gets <laughs> and like we're finding that some films when they were released were seen as terrible, but having, you know, second, third comebacks, cult classics. And so, yeah, it's all about kind of trying to appreciate them for what they are. We're not always able to do that, (laughs) but we're trying. (laughs) We're waiting for Viva Rock Vegas to get that Criterion release. It's coming, though. (laughs) Oh, Um, well, I'm still sore from the... That has a higher Rotten Tomatoes score than the original Flintstones film does. That surprises me, because the second one is crap, whereas the first one is, you know, fun. It's one of my favourite films of all time, the first one. Um, I'm glad it does... I worded that right then. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> the first one isn't on the bottom 100 or anything like that. So obviously it's not seen as low, but for whatever reason, Rotten Tomatoes, their scores are wrong. Yeah, those idiots over there. <laughs> uh, I, I saw that first Flintstones in the cinema, so I do have Me some too. kind of reverence for it. It's the first film I ever saw in the cinema, so I absolutely love oh, it. Nice. There you go. Well, enough of uh, bedrock over here, though. We'll, we'll, we'll be back in a few weeks' time to do a Flintstones episode. But um, tonight, as I said, we're mentioning. Uh, I mentioned we talk about films that we both mutually dig, mm-hmm. and tonight we are talking about Black Swan. I'm so very excited to talk about this. But before we hear uh, Claire's thoughts, let's run through the admin. It's distributed by Fox Searchlight Pictures and was released on December the third, 2010, and directed by Darren Aronofsky. It stars, of course, Natalie Portman as Nina, Mila Kunis as Lily, uh, Vincent Cassell as Thomas, Barbara Hershey as Erica, and Winona Ryder as Beth. Made for $3 million, went on to make $330 million worldwide, which isn't to be sniffed at. <laughs> and in terms of awards, it won at the Academy Awards for Best Actress for Natalie Portman. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. Now, if you're new to the show, firstly, welcome. Secondly, this is going to be full of spoilers. So if you haven't seen Black Swan, firstly, what are you doing there? Secondly, (laughs) stick around if you really want to. Thirdly, we're going to go full spoilers. Go watch the film. It's two hours long, maybe. Check it out. Come back and listen to what we have to say. See if you agree with us. Uh, But finally, one last time, spoilers. (laughs) Right, done. We've got that out of the way. So... Uh, obviously, you're on the show here because you're a big fan of Black Swan. But I wonder what's the why? Now, what is it about this film which really works for you? I mean, it's everything. It is. <laughs> it's one of my all-time favorite films. It's yep. on my the coveted letterboxed top four. It features as oh, number four for me. Nice. Um, so I do. I adore it. Um, I think it's a combination of I love Natalie Portman. I've always been a big Natalie Portman fan. I love the ballet. Um, I've only been lucky enough to go to the ballet a handful of times in real mm-hmm. life. Um, but I love the ballet, was obsessed with it as a kid. Every book I read was about ballerinas. Um, so that's a big tick for me. And I'm quite a big Darren Aronofsky fan. Uh, when I was a very, you know, hoity-toity film student, I'd be like, yes, Darren Aronofsky is my favourite director. <laughs> despite the fact that even now, 10 years later, I still haven't seen Pi. So don't know how I can, don't know how I can be saying he's my favourite director when I haven't seen like his... You've been out, you've outed yourself. I know. 
Um, but yeah, so I think it is that combination of a topic I was so interested in, an actress that I loved and a director that I loved. Um, and then adding in all of the kind of psychological things, it pretty much is one of those things that I talk about. If someone opened up my head and made a film out of all the things in my brain, this is one of those films. Bloody hell. Right. Okay, now we know what we're dealing with now. Uh, but that's really interesting to hear, though, that um, because a lot of the time I always, when somebody asks me, why is this a favourite film of yours? I'll list, you know, technical reasons. It's mm. the, the performances, it, it, you know, the visuals do something to me. I love the sound. But obviously not, having that personal connection, obviously loving the ballet, growing up, reading about it, that's that's a really interesting uh, angle to be bringing to this because um, I, you know, in all seriousness, I've, ne- I've never done ballet. I've, I've only ever seen like my sister's ballet recitals when I was about six and she was about <laughs> seven or eight. So I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going into this with any kind of prior knowledge of ballet. I've heard of, I've heard of every, you know, major ballet show. I've heard of Swan Lake. I'm aware of, I was aware of the story and, um, and the like, but so I went in with a different view of, of expecting, mm. I wasn't sure what I was expecting. I'd seen the wrestler and I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll mention that uh, throughout the show. So I kind of knew what I was going to get, kind of, but I wasn't going in with the the ballet uh, angle. So I was thinking, how are they going to make this kind of psychological horror with ballet? And boy, was I proved wrong. <laughs> yeah, they do it well. I mean, I think it's the thing, and it, it, it ties into the wrestler, it ties into films like Whiplash, any mm-hmm. sort of career like that. And you can look at it, things like I, Tonya as well. Mm-hmm. Any career like that that's so physically demanding you can easily just push one button and make it all psychological because so much of it even though obviously her ballet like she's a ballerina and the strength comes from her body you need to have the mental strength to get your body to withstand that so I think you know any sort of topic that involves that extreme pressure you can just switch click that switch in someone and make it so bonkers yeah no and the uh, just seeing the amount of work that goes into being a, a top tier mm-hmm. ballerina is is unreal. And obviously, in the film, they they were waiting for opening night of of Swan Lake, uh, with their it's building up to that. But then you kind of realise that well, you know, it's not just one performance. If when when you are the Swan Queen, mm-hmm. you're doing this, you're doing this until you retire, basically. And yeah. it's keep it's having to get to that state of mind to be able to do this night, you know, night in, night out at that kind of level and especially uh, as we're going to find out where Nina begins Natalie Portman's character where she begins within herself the idea of her ever reaching that kind of zenith is would be bonkers and I think mm-hmm. Aronofsky absolutely nails that but um, well you said you were a hoity-toity film student so um, <laughs> I also was one of those back in the day I'm guessing you saw this back in 2010 when it came out uh, yes I think it probably would have been 2011 because we yeah. always get filmed later don't we I think it was like um, January or February it came out yeah yeah so I was I'd finished university by then I think I was doing my either doing my teacher training or about to start doing my teacher training and mm-hmm. um, so I went to see it in my local cine world and I brought nice. my mum with me because I was living nice. at home at the time um, and my mum likes the cinema but she never has time to go and never has anyone to go with so when I was living at home I was like come with me I really want to see this um, which was really good and she really enjoyed it and she still says she enjoys it now but obviously there's like one or two scenes in that film don't really want to share with your mum. Awkward with your parents, eh? Well, yeah, and then I made it worse because as a teacher, I taught this film, <laughs> which was by choice. Um, so I was doing a module on... So the students had to create a 
piece of film, either a five minute short film or an opening scene to uh, what would have technically be a bigger film that they would never make yeah. and student films are terrible and these are GCSE <laughs> students so like they don't have the money they don't have friends that are actors so I was really I was fed up of watching just terrible student films where they all like ran around and nothing made sense and just the acting killed ah. you and it's really hard to as an examiner to not judge the acting because it just ruins anything good so i was really trying to show them films that re- that relied on only one if at most two characters yeah. show them films that could be filmed anywhere that you didn't need a big background for and so like, i showed them a number of key scenes from black swan such as you know when she's on the tube and she sees like her reflection and when she's going through the tunnel way at the um, subway stop because mm-hmm. i was like they are scenes that you can do on a tiny shoestring budget and yeah. they are scenes that students can replicate and so it only showed them a couple of the scenes and they all really liked it and they were like please 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 can we watch it and I was like no because it's an 18 and they were like well we're, and got really like and they so rarely wanted to watch like good films come on Miss Brunton so I was, yeah so I was like look there are like these three scenes in it that I'm not comfortable showing you and I was like it's not, and they were like we all know what sex is and I was like no I saw this film in the cinema with my mum as an adult and it made me uncomfortable so there was no way in hell I'm watching it with a bunch of 15 year old students like absolutely no, not, not um, Jesus that's like the that's like peak age to not watch it yeah with. so they all said they were happy to watch it and just completely skip out those scenes we watched it over two different lessons but it was really horrible because on the second day like that we watched the second half of it and they all came in and they obviously hadn't seen each other yet and they're like did you watch the scene last night yeah i did yeah and like (laughs) high-fiving each other oh god well at least they at least they saw it in their own time and did whatever they needed to do i got you know five 15 year old boys who could barely string two words together to watch an independent film by Darren Aronofsky about a ballerina like that, that you just you deserve some <laughs> recognition for that I, I, if you told them like a few of the scenes I'm sure they would have rushed out to watch it but yeah. the fact that you managed to do it and did, did they then go on to talk about the film in any kind of um you know, educational way or was it just yeah like, no, no scenes? we no we did we we talked about like how they made it seem so tense and how they played with yes. kind of use of shot and environment to make something feel big when it was actually very small um and we also watched red eye the west craven film yes. that's set on an aeroplane because 90 percent of that film is just set in those two seats so mm. i was like look guys like films can be small and still be really really intense yeah. um and so and then i can't remember i showed them like clips from a ton of other films as well um so yeah i think they they all got something from it and some of the films that came out of it were good unfortunately teenage boys do just want to all make good fellas so all yeah. of them involved guns and terrible acting <laughs> and, and but, terrible accents as well yeah oh, no. <laughs> but i tried and you know it, it worked in some ways <laughs> well maybe darren aronofsky was a 15 year old boy who was once pulling off stupid accents and making his silly <laughs> films look at him now so exactly you never know <laughs> uh, i just love the straight the strangers but that, that's one that scared the shit out of me and that mm. was pretty much one obviously one location um when you think yeah i think about black swan now it's it's really just like the ballet hall the ballet um mm. hq new york ballet um her nina's house and then there's a couple of other locations dotted in and around, more mm. so in the middle section. But it's not really 
it's not really an expansive film and I guess the budget being three million bucks yeah. uh, doesn't allow for that and you've got to imagine that I mean this is obviously Natalie Portman won her Oscar for this but mm-hmm. she was nominated for Closer beforehand mm-hmm. yes she was in the Star Wars prequels uh, and she and, and she was kind of doing the indie circuit but she still would have commanded a little fee um, and so you've got to imagine a bit of that budget went on the cast themselves but I think Aronofsky did so when he does that he really does know how to eke out tension from minimal locations. Whatever mm-hmm. people think about Mother, I really do need to rewatch it. Pretty much one location. I like but Mother. I, I I think I like. Well, I did like it when I saw it. I've only seen it once in the theatre, and seen... I was one of those people who wasn't sure what it was going to be about. And I liked it. It did mess me up at the end. No, mm-hmm. I won't spoil that for anyone who hasn't seen it. But I want to rewatch it to think. Right? Did I like it? Or was I just swept up in it? So I didn't ever want to rewatch it after seeing it. I was like, that is a film that I thought was amazingly made. Mm-hmm. I've never felt so physically affected by a film. I Oof. felt sick from claustrophobia in the screen. And I was like, you cannot say that that was a bad film if it can have such a visceral reaction. Well, that's it. Can't say that. And then about a year or two later, I was seeing a guy and was at his parents' house for the weekend and they asked if I wanted to watch a movie and that was <laughs> one that they picked to watch. And oh. none of them had seen it before. So they were like, why don't you want to watch it? I thought you said it's really good. And I was like, it is really good. It's just not a film that you really want to watch more than once. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a few moments which are harrowing. Yeah. I'll nudge you when they're coming. <laughs> but it oh. was, it's still actually smaller screen and a second watch. It still really stood up. And I completely yeah. understand why people don't like it. But I don't think you can say it's a bad film. I think they are two different statements. Yeah, yeah I have that issue with a lot of films when somebody says a film is bad, I, I wonder if they know what that means. For example, mm-hmm. I mentioned Star Wars. The Last Jedi, people call it the worst film ever. I, I always think, have you seen films? Yeah. You know, have, have you listened to W-rated podcasts? <laughs> There's a few on there, which, but uh, I digress. But yeah, I, Mother, I need to rewatch it. And Black Swan, obviously, is an... I mean, speaking of Aronofsky, Requiem for a Dream. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of people say this, but watching that, that took me on a trip as a, again, as a film student. I was like, what the hell is this? And I was like, yeah. messed up after that. But Black Swan, when I first watched it, I was in, you know, I thought mm-hmm. this is great. But then on a subsequent rewatch and rewatch and then rewatching it for this episode, every time I see it, as all the pieces fall into place and I've absorbed it all, it just gets better and better. And mm-hmm. there aren't many films that I could say do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's one of those, like, my viewing of it the first time in that cinema, I still remember everything that I thought was happening, and it was all completely wrong. Every theory that I thought was happening (laughs) didn't come true, and that's why then when you rewatch it, it's great, because then the second time you watch it, you're like, right, well, now I know what happens, so you get to see little things, but then every time you watch it, you see more and more, and, like... I will say it's one of those films that I feel like it benefits from giving it a little bit of time between rewatches so that you can forget some of that. But it's a brilliant film that holds up. Like it's not a one watch and you're done. No. Well, that, the scene with, and I know we're going to get to our moments, but the scene at the end with Nina and Lily in the uh, yeah. dressing room, I was like, when I watched it the other week, I was like, I don't remember her dying. <laughs> and then obviously when you rewatch it, it's like, oh Christ, yes, it was, yeah, this is basically what the whole film's been telling me. It's all in her head. Well, um, so well, I was kind con- of all in her head. I was convinced. I can't remember at what point. I think it must have been the point where when she goes down and she and Lily comes to the door and Lily clearly isn't dead. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, but there was blood on the floor. I was convinced that she had killed her mother. 
that her mother had been Ooh. waiting for her. Imagine. And that she killed her mum. So then when you discover that, no, that she's hurt herself, I was like, oh. But, like, the whole time I really, really thought that her mum was gaslighting her, that it wasn't that she was insane, that her mum was that overprotective and her mum was making her crazy. So I missed a lot of the nuances of how mentally ill she was. Mm -hmm. So then when you rewatch it, there are still plenty of scenes where you're like, her mum is way too over the top and way too kind of involved. But a lot of it is in Nina's head. And then you question, you know, well, is her mum that over the top? When you see the lengths that Nina goes to when her mum isn't supervising her, maybe her mum did need that level of supervision because, you know, she let her leave and then she did what she did. So Yeah, that's a good show. I mean, I, I think that's a, re- a really solid theory. Uh, having seen the film, I like the fact that the direction it went in, but mm. there, there are times when you watch... Uh, her mother, Erica uh, Barbara Hershey, wonderful, wonderful performance by Barbara mm. Hershey, who is always wonderful. I think mm-hmm. um, there are times when you do think, bloody, oh, I'm glad she, uh, glad she trapped your fingers in the door because you're pissing me off. It's, but it's she's the just, paintings. Oh, do yeah, do the paintings. <laughs> oh, cool, yeah, take the paintings away. Go. <laughs> terrifying, just yeah. utterly fucking terrifying. Like. There's, and that's the point where I was like, well, she's obviously gaslighting her and like doesn't want her to leave because her she Nina is her mother's entire life and yep. she's her inspiration for everything. And like the scene with the cake where she knows that her daughter oh. is clearly on a diet because you see her make breakfast for her in the morning and that mm-hmm. sad like egg white and grapefruit breakfast oh. and then buys this enormous cake. And it then- does look good throws a strop that Nina won't eat it. And it's like, but you've been telling her that she needs to watch her weight. So like, what? what? And it's a kind of typical abusive behaviour. But... That's exactly what it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's abusive behaviour. But then you don't know, is it abusive by accident? Is it abusive because she's got something wrong with her? Is it abusive because she's trying to look after her like there's so many layers on rewatches that i still still don't know what to make of the mum yeah well the obvious thing to me was originally like well she was she was a ballerina and this is what you know a lot of people peddle this because it's Mm -hmm. true she's a ballerina her mother she gave it up to 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 have nina to raise her Mm -hmm. therefore her career was ended because she was a mother and there's a certain level of resentment which Mm -hmm. in itself is you know quite got dark mm-hmm. um but it happens though it's not like it doesn't happen it, you know it's it's not like out of the realms of possibility that this has happened before but now you say like you're saying is that as we see nina's state shifting because she starts it, it, you know the film to me is an evolution from child almost to to adult mm-hmm. you know it's it's the blossoming of a young woman and but you know are we led, can we be led to believe that some of the behaviour of a mother is real? <laughs> is it actually happening or is it just in Nina's head? The cake scene did get me though. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, as I mentioned, the cake looked stunning. <laughs> I'd, I'd de- demolish that at the minute, lockdown life. But it, it, like you said, you, she knows that she's uh, on, on this uh, diet regime to keep her mm-hmm. figure foot, to be the prima ballerina. But at the same time, her daughter is a squat, has just been named a Swan Queen. So she wants so to celebrate. So of course she's going to celebrate. Exactly. So there's that. There's two sides of it here. Yeah. 
And it's funny that you say, you know, you see it as a girl becoming a woman because I see it as the complete deterioration of someone's mind. I don't see any of the film of Nina becoming an adult. I see it as her completely deteriorating oh, well, yes, and as, falling as well, apart. Yeah. But like they're both, they can they can go hand in hand. But I was doing some research earlier um, and Aronofsky kind of spoke to Portman about your theory saying that he saw it as her becoming a woman um and so like there's some trivia that portman um shared with someone at one point mm-hmm. that um the scene when she's bleeding some of the blood goes on her tights and portman didn't yep. like it because she said it looked like she had a period rather than that it was from an injury so that would and, be then too it would be like a massive allegory for becoming a woman and that's why aronofsky said he wanted it there for exactly that reason he was like i want it to be the allegory that you have blossomed into a woman that you would you know the okay. what, what not what nina did was cutting off the last tie of her childhood that she needed to toughen up and kill the child part of herself well there we go so aronofsky's given us what he usually does an open-ended film because <laughs> none of it you're not wrong though absolutely because it's clearly nina is clearly like fragile mentally Mm -hmm. you know she clearly is the the, the film makes no bones about that and then you add on top of on top of you know her mental state the paranoia the anxiety the stress of her wanting to achieve perfection which in itself is surely unachievable Mm. on top of that the mental deterioration was always going to happen and the hallucinations that we see were were I think they were masterfully done for one. I think that side of it was great, but that was only ever going to happen. And I think on that, let's get into the film. Let's get into the moments that stand (laughs) out to us, the sequences, whatever it might be. Now, let's let's start off. I'll throw the ball to you. What's one of the sequences in this film, which is, blows your mind i mean it's the whole final act the the minute the ballet (laughs) the minute swan lake starts it's until that point it's a great film and when the when the ballet starts and nina really loses the last kind of piece that was holding her together it goes from four stars to five stars that is the moment when everything is let go and I actually just rewatched just the ballet about 10 minutes before we started recording oh, wow. um, because I loved that bit so much and it was funny watching it on its own mm-hmm. it's not half as good you need the first hour you need the slow tension you need the build to make it seem as powerful as it is when you watch the film as a whole out of context it would be quite odd the fact that she's dancing and then turns into a swan well it's still beautiful but Mm -hmm. you don't get to see the nuances like portman's expressions in those last 20 minutes she does more with her face in those 20 minutes than she's done in whole other films but because you don't see the nina that she was at the start of the film you don't get to relish in when she comes out in that black swan when she's taking the netting off of her hair and kind of posturing backstage the power of that scene having watched her 40 minutes ago pathetically you know crying in the corner and barely being able to talk to anyone you need the juxtaposition of the two in the short space of time um but just any of those close-ups during those last 20 minutes with the red eyes and that scene that you talked about where she turns full swan with the wings, it's it's outstanding. And I don't think the film gets enough praise for its use of technology, especially being that it was so low budget. The special effects are amazing and so well utilised. Yeah, I agree. Rewatching it, as as film buffs we are and film critics, we write about film, 
I kind of we kind of naturally almost look for imperfections in films. At least I know I do, and I hate it myself for it. And you're watching the effects, and you're kind of thinking, right, where's where's it a bit janky? But do you know what? I, I have I had no um, issues with it. Um, not that I'd ever sit here and say they were bad, but I had no issues with the effects and. Uh, even the scene where you know, oh, oh her knees is jut backwards and mm-hmm. you know, like and before she hits her head, oh. yeah, but, she like, all of the down. the feathers coming out of her, or like the, the starting to sprout from her skin and mm-hmm. the the red eyes, and I thought the red eyes looked oh, terrifying with a, just a shot of her looking at herself, mm-hmm. and and I'm sure we'll mention the whole mirror aspect yeah. as well, but. I loved that final scene and I I agree, you know, out of context, it, you know, it's not as powerful because you need everything that came before it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you're just watching Natalie Portman seemingly in a trance and just Mm -hmm. given a performance of a lifetime. She's just with the black swan has taken over by this point. The confidence is oozing. Mm -hmm. She is the swan and I, and I love it. And even before that, when she's, when she pushes her mum out of the way, Mm because her mum's called to theory and said, oh, she's not well. Because you, know, you can't handle this. I'm the Swan Queen, and, and it's one of those moments where I'm just like, "Yes, you yeah. are the Swan Queen." It, I think it's really powerful. It's, it's it's played up to be a big moment, mm-hmm. but every time I watch it, she, it, it it it's not like one of those kind of like needle drop moments. It isn't. She, it doesn't zoom in on her face and everything goes quiet. And she's like, "No," and I am the Swan Queen, like a Avenger <laughs> Endgame. It's just like part of this natural organic argument they're having. But I love it when she finally admits that she's the swan queen she sees Lily getting ready to perform. And from then on, it's just, and it's, it's the, a beautiful the, the part just kind of in the middle of that, when she's doing, when they're performing and the male dancer drops her oh, Portman's yeah. face in that scene, the desperation that you see is crushing to then. And obviously I'm sure they filmed on different days, but within the film, within two minutes, to be the Swan Queen with that wild determination and fearlessness, and like, like she is on, she feels like she's on fire because it is sprouting. You see the energy through the special effects over. all over her skin. It is excellent. And then you know you go back to the scene where she discovers that she hasn't killed Lily, that she's hurt hmm. herself. Yes. And there's that scene where you suddenly, sh- it dawns on her and it's such an extreme close-up and it's just the tears as she panics and then she just gets the makeup cloth and just smiles and turns it on and it's like, it's wow insane. So wow. she deserved that Oscar. <laughs> oh, Jesus, she did. And I uh, know the backup dancers otherwise, but <laughs> she did. Um, and obviously Tchaikovsky's music as well is... Obviously, this th- th- that is the 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 music for Swan Lake, but mm-hmm. goddamn, if it wasn't perfect for this film as well, it's so well used. Just they could it never feels overdone, and it could have been because no. it's it's used earlier in the film as well. But it feels like it's almost used sparsely. I mean, it's such powerful music anyway that it would be hard yeah. for the scenes not to be powerful. But the whole film is choreographed to that music beautifully. Yeah. And the moment, like you say, when she's when she's sobbing and she's applying mm. the makeup, she's seen the. She realizes that she she's she has killed the white swan. She has become to to become the black swan. She's killed the black the white swan, which is in herself in a set is her. Mm-hmm. And we see the whole film. Tamara is basically saying, "You are you're the white you're the embodiment of the white swan. You need to let go. All he ever says is let go, let go, mm-hmm. lose control." And this is what she needed to do. And he foreshadows it right at the beginning. And it, obviously, people who know. Swan Lake would have, you know, would have known anyway. But 
uh, to my, he tells the, the the dance troupe that you know at the end of Swan Lake, the heroine finds her freedom in death, mm-hmm. and look what happens at the end of Black Swan. Does she die at the end? So I was going to ask you that. Are, <laughs> I got there first. <laughs> <laughs> I think she does, and um, yeah, for two I, I reasons. So I've just always thought that she does, um, and I feel like it is a very dark but fitting ending that. You know, the only thing she ever wanted to be was to be perfect, and she felt it. She says it, you know, I felt it, perfect, which is such a wonderful line reading. Um, And I feel like she's happy to die in that moment. I feel like she knows that she has reached the peak of the mountain, so she doesn't need to go on. Um, But also, from a scientific standpoint, never remove the item. You know, you have an injury, (laughs) whatever it is, never pull the thing out. Go to the yes. hospital with the thing still in. Don't pull it out. She okay. pulled the glass shard out. So she was able to be back on perfectly because she hadn't pulled it out. The minute she pulled that out, <laughs> she was gone. In fact, you learn this stuff on this show as well. First aid and everything. Um, yeah, yeah, don't pull shrapnel out. <laughs> um, but Portman herself believes she doesn't die. I I read about this yeah. and I I I'm with you there. I I think she does because mm-hmm. I think it's just poetic. I think it's tragically beautiful mm-hmm. and also just tragic that yeah. she does. And like the you know I felt it perfection. Mm-hmm. You know where do you, in like I I'm, I always try to think what happened. You know when the end credits roll, I try to think what happens to the characters now. I can't imagine a scenario in which you know it. Like like you've said, you've, she's hit the zenith. She's hit the peak. Mm-hmm. She's felt perfection. You know. Where does she go from here? And, and obviously, if you hit perfection, you shouldn't then just die. But um, that's it. It, it seems it's really, a story in itself. It seems really morbid and kind of stupid to be like, well, obviously, like the best thing for her to do is to die. But at the same time, like trying to think of that character, Nina, like, so what? She survives. She ends up in surgery. She's probably, you know, in some way permanently affected physically. But mentally, she would be forever, you know, in some sort of institution or, you know, and so picturing someone like that trapped in a room for the rest of their life under supervision doesn't really feel like a life that's worth living. Yeah, I don't think about this now. She does in the end, not not because it's happy, but because he doesn't have to see the alternative. That's it. It's like, I don't know if death is actually better than that. That sounds really awful, but. I don't feel like for Nina as a character within her own mind, yeah. she would want anything else. Yeah, and I think obviously, like the end of Swan Lake, I think there is a certain like poetic edge to it that mm-hmm. her freedom was she 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 found what she wanted. The chase was over, and for the journey she'd been on led her to this moment. In order to in order to become the Black Swan, it took that much out of her mm-hmm. that you know this this was. I won't say inevitable, but this was the way it had to be. Yeah. But also just for the film itself, what a bloody ending. Just like mm-hmm. the, the the perfect white with um obviously the, the the red just seeping through it and taking over and like you say, the I felt it perfection and mm-hmm. the fade to white. And it's the, almost too beautiful to not kind of mean that have that finality. The applause as well. Like we spoke about the oh, use of the music, the music, but that applause as the music fades out and the applause fades in is so mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah, exactly, and that's what I think. I think again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to second guess Aronofsky or Natalie Portman. That, that's the beauty of filmmaking and collaboration. They mm-hmm. probably got their own ideas on what they thought for the character. I think we, it seems like we're in agreement that mm-hmm. she probably did die, and yeah. maybe even better for the story as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, it's hard to think of scenes which stand out for me in this film, simply because that you know, sounds obvious, but 
that the whole thing does. But mm-hmm. I, 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 I quite like the uh, the opening scenes when we when we meet Nina mm-hmm. because you know it's Natalie Portman before she's always she's been around forever since she's in Leon. She's since she's like twelve or whatever she was, and she seems to always had. We've grown up with her, mm-hmm. and then we see her as this like, like childlike figure in this pink teddy bear strewn bedroom, and her mother's being very overprotective. And I'm thinking, where are we going with this? The first time I saw, it, I remember <laughs> thinking, like, what, what, what's this all about now? Because she, mm-hmm. like, the mother is clearly Molly, is Molly <coughs> Codling, and then there's, then there's this. Um, I and I, I just love watching her being quite like cutesy and again, here's that like, childlike. That's that mm-hmm. phrase again, and then how she. Uh, when she gets to ballet, how she just doesn't interact with anybody else. Mm. She's very distant socially. Uh, she's socially inept, awkward, sorry, to um, for want of a better phrase. And mm. I just love the opening scenes now more so because we know where they end up. Absolutely, yeah. And I think as well, it's interesting that you see the warning signs of her instability long before she gets the part just on her first day traveling in we see the thing on the subway where she sees herself looking back at her in the mirror and we we see those signs straight away so obviously we we incur from the film that the pressure of being both swans and being perfect was what led her to the point in which she fell so hard but she wasn't doing great to start with knew i winced during the opening dance when when she went on when they're on tiptoes because mm-hmm. as you saw she vomits because of the exertion and her big toenail is just cracked and mm. i winced so bad every time i see it and there's another scene where she pulls the skin back on her finger that makes me die of it inside you, have you ever seen real ballerinas feet i have actually oh. and they are i'm sorry if any ballerinas are listening they're battered yeah, you know, they are, it's... yeah. Oh, not nice no <laughs> So I did like like that's some that's one of the things that really stands out in the film is the body horror and you forget about yeah. it when you haven't watched it for a while because it's not the most important part of the film but there are some real like there's the scene where she like rips half her finger off in the bathroom all the bits with her feet and the scene you mentioned earlier where she like collapses in on herself like there are some real body horror moments when she's scratching herself for a lot of the mm. film which we now know because there's a swan wanting to get out but she's scratching herself and we see like drawing blood and yeah there is a lot isn't there so it's it's definitely a horror film in that sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and i've always seen it as like that kind of psychological thriller yeah. It. especially on that first viewing you don't know is she insane is lily out to get her is her mum yeah. out to get her so that first viewing really is that psychological thriller element of just what is wrong with this girl and what is wrong with this situation yeah, well, what about the moment where um, nina's mother makes her lick the cake from her finger oh god In what way is that, that normal oh well, obviously, the answer is it's not. But um, <laughs> because her daughter's just been, she doesn't want the cake. Her mother's throwing a hissy fit. She then feels guilty. She's been made to feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but then I took it as the mum's almost like, it's, it's dominance. It's humiliation. Oh, yeah. It's like, as you say, it's abuse. It's like, right, well, I've now got you on the defensive again. Basically, lick my finger. Yeah. You know? Come here, you know, come here, subordinate. And and that's that's like you mentioned fairly early on in early mm-hmm. on in the film mm-hmm. uh, before she gets the um is that before and oh, no, that's, that's that's after sorry it's of course after that's she gets the swan queen yeah. yeah yeah and obviously then she gets into the bathroom and the word whore's written on the mirror so 
And but that's it, and that happens straight straight away. And exactly, so she a, hasn't exactly got the warmest welcome. But on a rewatch, I only ever see that horse scene now as completely in her mind. Interesting. On a, on a rewatch, I only ever see that as she's imagined that. I can't imagine that anyone else would have written it. Well, I thought it was the, um, I, I can't remember the name, but the, the ballerina who she congratulates, who Tamar says, well, you know, she's a swan queen. She congratulates her in the hallway. Mm-hmm. She goes to check the, um, the the cast list. She's not on there. She thinks that Nina's punked her, basically. Yeah. I assume, I guessed it was her. Yeah, and you can read it like that. But I think mm-hmm. the way that I've on rewatches is that we already know that Nina is feeling a bit crazy. Yeah. And Nina is the only one who knows that she went for Tomar. Yep. No one else knows that. So who else would know that she's quote unquote a whore? Um, yeah, that's a good point. She bites him, doesn't she? Yeah. So no one else would know that. And that other ballerina, we only see her in a few scenes, but she seems quite pithy. I feel like if she <laughs> had a problem with Nina, she would just tell her. She wouldn't go. She wouldn't waste the energy of writing whore with lipstick. I think on you, a now, that the more you, now you're saying this, the the pieces are coming together in my mind and. Like it's the fact that Nina, she is the embodiment of the white swan. She mm-hmm. is, she is again, for want of a better term, she's almost like innocence personified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the fact that you know Tomar kisses her, questions her desire, and then she bites him, she probably would think, I'm you know, I'm a whore because I allowed for this to happen, or uh, like f- for a few seconds, I let my guard down. So well, now, it's, oh, fuck me, it makes sense now. She has that issue as well that we see through the film that. The biggest doubter of Nina, in some ways, is Nina. Nina is yes. the one holding herself back. She's the one that is worried that Lily is coming for her part. She's the one that's worried she can't be the black swan. And so, you know, she would be the one that immediately, she gets that role. The first thing she does is goes and hides in a toilet stall, which is where we've already seen is where she goes when she's sad. Mm-hmm. So that's where she goes to celebrate the best news she's ever had. And, you know, her initial thought probably would be, but I only got it because I did that. I'm a whore. Like yep. knowing her psychological mind state, every, like I say, on a rewatch, having been to the end of the film and returned, I can now only ever see that as all in her mind. Well, I've now seen the film in a new light. Which is what I love <laughs> about these shows is sometimes it can open you. I, I hadn't thought about that, but now it, it just seems so right. Mm-hmm. that That is what would happen, especially as you say, with what, with what happens, well later on in the film but that that makes perfect sense and you mentioned lily and tamar i think they're so good in this film vincent cassell and mila kunis mm. are both so good and mila kunis is great i think in this film as brilliant and, uh, even as like an, an an acting peer of natalie portman but mm-hmm. they are they are, they could almost be seen as opposites despite the fact that they're both you know extremely professional about their craft and i love that i love the fact that you can just see mila kunis and you know right no, she is the black swan in this mm-hmm. scenario. She she's, she's always wearing energy. black. Yes, she's got that kind of she's got that loose energy, but restrained passion. Not well, unrestrained passion. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. within her, she's always in black. Nina's always in white for the most part. It's mm-hmm. not subtle, and I I think those two work off so well against each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like it's perfect casting. I don't think there's anyone in this film who's miscast, but Mm. it is. I like Mila Kunis. I don't think that she gets roles that she deserves. I think she is often better than the roles that she is able to get. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this film is her best film um, and her best performance. Yeah. I I agree. She's so natural in it and plays so well. I 
against Portman. Um, I think they're a really, really good pairing and really good chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because they always seem so different in terms of their acting style, mm-hmm. but it's exactly what the film called for. Uh, and Vincent Cassell is wonderful as that kind of bastard teacher. You mentioned mm-hmm. Whiplash earlier on. There is that obvious comparison between the two films mm-hmm. because of the that strive for perfection and the kind of horrific lengths that people will go to on yeah. a teacher and the student. Um, but I think those two are great. And obviously the scene where uh, Lily finally gets Nina to let her guard down. Lily, Nina's rebelling against her mother. She goes mm. out for drinks with Lily and it all kicks off from there, doesn't it? Yeah. I always forget Sebastian Stan is in that scene as well. To the I point... didn't realise until I rewatched it. Yeah, every time I rewatch it, I'm like, oh God, yeah, that's Sebastian Stan. Because um, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't have the gorgeous lush locks um, in this film. It's still a beefcake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's it. And that's like, again the use of editing and of special effects in that scene where like they are just dancing and going crazy mm-hmm. and you don't know how much of it is Nina, how much of it is drugs, how much of it is reality. Um, even before you get to the bit where they go home together, just the bits in the club is so off kilter, but it feels needed. It feels like Nina did need that outlet. Yep. Yep. Well, she, she, uh, Nina needed it. Is the gradual um, dive into excuse the pun, dive into becoming the Black Swan? Mm-hmm. But it, 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 it's almost like it was always within her. I think yeah. there are signs as well that it was that this side of her was it was in there. It just was never ever going to come out mm-hmm. under her mother's um, say guidance, suffocation. Yeah, and I, you know, just a moment she goes home and she's like she's. she's hammered she tells her mum she's like you know i, f- I fucked two guys <laughs> mum goes mental and she runs into the bedroom we think she runs in there with mila and then and then they make out and they have a and they have that scene that those those kids in your class <laughs> we're obviously talking about it's a great sex. scene it's, it's it's actually really well done as well if i can be so bold as to say so no it is and again it's even without they've got very good chemistry it's a very well orchestrated sex scene but even without that just again bringing in the special effects where lily has the wings tattooed on her back and we see the wings moving and we see as nina you know as lily is sexually pleasing nina we see nina's skin literally like light up like with um goosebumps yeah and her skin ripple and like you can almost feel the energy and it's so well crafted that yes it is a very gratifying sex scene that i'm sure a lot of people have watched a (laughs) lot of times but there's also a real artistic element to it through the use of the symbology the symbolism symbology (laughs) um and the use of the the special effects i think you know it's elevated through those things and and the and as we find out none of it happened yeah basically like when mila she uses the the classic line did you have some kind of lezzy wet dream about me but <laughs> that's it's such an odd line it is it's like but it sounds like something that mila kunis yeah. has just kind of said on the spot yeah um but it, you could see how horrified nina is and yeah. she's still and she still is the white swan at this point so the idea of her, somebody saying that to her out in her almost and then other people hearing it about this closely mm-hmm. guarded person that she is you know, must that would be like the most horrifying thing for her. And, and before that, so go on. You're somewhat led to imply that if she isn't a virgin, that she is incredibly sexually inexperienced. So yeah. that moment is such a big deal to her that not only to find out that 
wait what do you mean it didn't happen but it would already be such a big deal to her that it happened in the first place possibly that it happened with a woman but mostly just that it even happened and that she was allowed to feel so free and all of that to then even without realizing it didn't happen to just feel like this woman who she feels like she's had this connection with is laughing at her that's tough that's a really tough beat even without the whole it was completely in your head love your bonkers just the this person that I clearly have very intense feelings for is laughing at my feelings and they seem like feelings that she's probably never had before and doesn't know how to cope with no and there are other people about and as we know Mm -hmm. she's she doesn't she doesn't do well around others even in four situations and this is all a build-up from earlier on in the film where Tomar says to her, you know, we've got to talk about the boundaries here. Mm-hmm. You've got to, he's, he, she's in his flat after the um, after she's been presented as the Swan Queen. They talk about boundaries. And Tomar's like, your homework assignment, go home and touch yourself. Mm-hmm. And she, 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 she does. She touches herself in the morning. She gets into it. But then her mum's asleep oh, in the room with her. Scene. It, oh. That's like top ten horror scenes of all time. Oh, she's asleep there, it's like, and then the way she just the way she like, acts, you know that. I, I I'd love to imagine that, and it didn't happen. I'd love to imagine Aronofsky saying, "Right, well, this is the scene where you have to touch yourself in the morning," and then they kind. I'd love to imagine he kind of snuck Barbara Hershey in, and Natalie Portman had no idea if yeah. she was there, and that was literally her like, "Fuck Jesus!" Because it's, uh, it's so well done. It's so well done, so well done. You you physically feel the horror for her. Oh. It's a really she, good jump scare. Then she touches herself in the bath later on, mm-hmm. and she sees the, the vision of herself with blood on her fingers and scratches mm-hmm. everywhere. So, we, we she has those urges, she has those wants and needs, and then, like you say, when she believes she's finally got it or made that connection, turns out that you know, like a lot of things that are happening, it's all in her head. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's, it's a powerful, it's a powerful moment in the film. And as we find out, mentions are a lot of it's in her head, and we mentioned mirrors as well, don't we? That, seemingly every scene has a mirror in yeah so much kind of reflective surfaces because of the duality of the role in swan lake Mm -hmm. of being one person but two one person playing the same two people and this is obviously the inverse of that it's not one person playing two people it's two personalities within the one person yeah so it's so clever and again we spoke about you know it being quite a small budget sounds like a massive budget to me but when you look (laughs) at other films it's a tiny budget um I think that clever cinematography and the use of the mirrors just put like the reflective services add so much depth to it that you don't realize until something big happens you're like oh my god wait that's been there all along yep yep yeah it's the duality is everywhere in this film Mm -hmm. and it's okay. On, on first, I mean, there are obvious moments in it. For example, when she's dancing, and um, some of the some of the reflections are slightly off. But there's one obviously where she just the, the reflection is just standing there mm-hmm. looking at her, basically. So there are obvious moments in it, but it's the little things you don't notice. You then start to question, and it's is that out of time or? Is and it it's that eeriness that builds on you that suddenly, if if that mirror is not safe are any mirrors safe and then you start seeing that well there's a reflection there and there's a mirror there and you start waiting for whatever it is to happen again yep i start wandering around the screen for Mm -hmm. things which may or may not be there i love and i love that kind of uh, uneasy atmosphere that's what i love about horror film is that psychological the dread that builds and this film Mm -hmm. does so well you know you're building to something you just don't quite know what Um, Mm -hmm. what about any other sequences that come to mind 
hmm, what have I got written down? I mean, just also just all of the dancing. It's so mm-hmm. well done. It's so easy for films about these kind of skills for them to feel either that you're like well that's not very good and that would never actually like win an award and you know sometimes you watch these shows where there's a talent show and you're like that's not very good dance (laughs) (laughs) or other times where you're like well that's obviously not them this and like you kind of half mentioned it earlier like the the dancing in this seems amazing like the the scenes of portman and kunis dancing are outstanding and they Mm -hmm. look so brilliant and you mentioned that like the backup dancers said maybe portman didn't deserve her oscar because there was um the dancer brought in to do some of the scenes of dancing for natalie portman because natalie portman is not a prima ballerina um but whether or not, you know, the controversy stands that the dancer thinks she did more than she was credited for. Natalie Portman, I don't think actually has come out with any of it, but Aronofsky has. Portman's partner, who she met filming the film, who was a choreographer, and Mila Kunis have all said, no, it was Natalie. She did 80% of that work. Mm -hmm. Whoever it was, it's seamless. You cannot tell. It is so brilliantly choreographed choreographed and so seamlessly edited that I would not know that it could ever have been anyone but Natalie Portman because it is so perfectly done within the film yeah that, and that's exactly it. again you kind of look for moments where but I I wasn't even thinking that I just it just was mm-hmm. it just that just was Natalie Portman doing a dance and it was nominated for best film editing and damn right so well it should have been mm-hmm. and I, I expect in certain scenes like in action films big action stars have a stunt double yeah it's not always the uh whoever it may be jumping through that pane of glass so mm-hmm. it's not it wouldn't be out of the realms of possibility it wouldn't be weird to have an actual ballerina on set to mm-hmm. kind of um act as a a foot double or something or a lower half double mm-hmm. whatever but the fact that if there was I couldn't tell. And everybody yeah. on set has come out and said, no, no, for the most part, it was Natalie Portman doing it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unreal. And again, it go, Natalie Portman is a dedic- is dedicated to her craft. And she, every mm-hmm. film she does, she goes all in, um, especially a film like this. And she's, mm-hmm. and Mila trained so hard yeah. for this film. And it shows, and that, and that Oscar win is the kind of, it is the cherry on the icing on top of the cake because the film is great. The performance is great. Her, uh, passion and dedication for the role is outstanding. So to be recognised is that's perfect. Mm-hmm. But she, but damn, was she good at dancing? Yeah. And it's not just that, but like you said, the, the, the facial performances, ballet is you know dance is is an art form, and it is almost it is a performance. You have to act with your face whilst you're mm-hmm. whilst being a ballerina. But in terms of a film, you also have to actually act with your face, mm-hmm. and she's doing that at the same time, and it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, talking of faces, it's a it's a kind of unnecessary scene that I kind of always forget about, but it's such a good scene. The um, random scene with Winona Ryder in the hospital towards the end. Oh, yeah, well, she's just like, stabbing her foot. Yeah. Is she stabbing her face? Well, so she kind of, it's like a nail file. So <laughs> Nina goes, because Nina stole a load of stuff from her dressing room and yes. feels guilty about it and goes to the hospital to give it all back. And she grabs the nail file 
uh, Winona Ryder's character and starts stabbing her face with it, which is just horrifying. But then it turns into Nina's face and she's staring right back at herself. Mm. And it's such a random scene that really you could take it out of the film and it doesn't at all need to be there. But it's actually a brilliant scene. So I'm very glad it is there because it again just hypes up. They're like, what is going on? Oh my God, I have no idea. Like, why is, why is everyone so on edge? <laughs> something weird <laughs> but it, it plays in beautifully of the scene where you think she stabbed uh lily as yeah. well because she you got beth is just like she's just turning her face into a pincushion <laughs> and then uh, beth, uh nina's running away obviously but then her hands are covered in blood and she's got the bloody nail file yeah. so i'm thinking she has she killed beth and has she's done it. this to her it's foreshadowing of who is she and who is she, what is she doing who is she doing it to and is she in control of herself yeah, exactly. And then it, when you see the scene of her supposedly killing Lily, it, it doesn't feel like it wouldn't happen because you think, well, she's, she may have just murdered Beth yeah. by stabbing her face in in a hospital. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's I, I see what you mean. You can, you can take that scene out and it doesn't impact the flow. It doesn't impact anything later on. But I'm so glad they didn't. Exactly. It's such a well done scene. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like adding those horror moments, there we go. There's another one which then plays into the uh, the uh, the stabbing later on. I think Winona Ryder's really good in her small role as well. Yeah, really, really well cast because this was like before Stranger Things. So this was kind of, I remember like reading, I think it was being like an Empire of Total Film article at the time this came out of this like being her first kind of tiptoe back into the industry. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like a really perfect role for her because she is playing the person who, you know, got too old and has been shunned by yeah. her society. And that is somewhat what happened to Winona Ryder within the film industry. So it was a perfect kind of comeback role and a small enough role that there wasn't too much riding on it, but enough within it that she has some meat on her character and she has some mm-hmm. good scenes to like really go in with. Oh yeah, the scene when she's the, the scene when she, at the presentation of Nina mm-hmm. uh, to the I guess the donors and the um, the patrons mm-hmm. of the ballet. Uh, Beth just said just. She's, she's just, you know, she's wallowing in within herself because she's retiring. That that used to be her getting the adoration and adulation, and now she's having to see this young, beautiful girl take her place. And like you say, she's probably she's probably not even that old. No. But in that in an industry like that, you're made to you're you're thrown aside very quickly for for youth and beauty. Yeah, and yeah. I think she gets that. She doesn't. She's bitter and she's angry, but she never goes full ham. No. And I think it could be quite easy to be. OTT in those scenes and I think she does well and I think her limited screen time also stops that not because of Ryder I mean because of the character I think yeah. if the character was in any more scenes it could be become very hammy or over the top but she's utilised small but powerful mm-hmm. and yeah. it works and yeah, like the whole is. thing about he used to call me his little princess and then he like at one point Tamar calls Nina that and it's like oh no yep. it's, and then you kind of think well, what's Tamar's game as well what, what's he up to here Mm-hmm. Is he is he is he trying to face them off against each other? Does he genuinely care about both of them like he like he pertains to, or is he a bastard like um, J.K. Simmons in Whiplash? <laughs> I think Tamar is everything combined. I think you know I'm gonna I'm gonna sound really like soapboxy, but you know men in power can be really shitty, mm-hmm. and oh, he yeah. is a man in power who's in charge of all of these tiny little women, and he has so much control and so much say. And whilst I don't think he would not pick Nina because she didn't sleep with him, I think at the same time he's like, well, if she will sleep with me, 
then I'm going to sleep with her. You know, I think it's a thing of like, I'm not going to force it to happen, but I'm going to make it clear that I would like it to happen and hopefully it will. Yeah, no, you're right. And that he has got that kind of level. Well, obviously he's got that level of sleaziness about Mm -hmm. him because many times during this, he's, you know, he's, he's at the beginning, he kisses um, Nina and then she bites him. Later on, later on, when she's dancing, he's trying to get the passion and he goes behind her and he's seducing her and his hands are all over her going mm-hmm. places they shouldn't be. And But it's all, for him, it's all part of the act. It's all part of it's... drawing out this emo- this character when really it, it's, he's, uh, he's sexually abusing someone. Yeah, and you can see that he feels like not only is it called for, but he feels like it's his right. You know, yeah. he's doing it to help her. And why would there ever be any question that it wasn't the right thing to do? He's in charge. She is his princess, his swan, who can mould her in any way that he wants to. And that's the way he has chosen to. And you never see any doubt in his mind that anything he do he is doing is not the right thing to be doing, which we as an audience no for different reasons <laughs> not so much well on, well on that though at the end when after the during the performance mm-hmm. uh, nina goes off stage she she get grabs tomar and she snogs him yeah you know, how, how, now, now kind of talking about like tomar thinking he's justified and has the right to do so how, do we view that scene where she goes off and you know then do we see that as a sign of dominance and power? Maybe? Yeah, and I love that scene because I love the performance that the actor gives because when she, she grabs him and like goes for it and doesn't stop and then she goes back out on stage and it lingers on his face and he like giggles like a little kid almost. <laughs> like he's kind of giddy and I love that performance because... I think it's both the unexpectedness of who he's both excited that she was the black swan, but also who is this woman who has emerged? So he's excited about that. And he probably is excited that for once, yes, someone is dominant towards him, you know, and that, that kind of thing of, wow, this is a new sensation for me that for once I'm the one. It's a bit weird, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, make, it makes perfect sense because all we we only ever see him is this kind of like domineering mm-hmm. uh, male presence, like you say, wielding his uh, dominion mm-hmm. uh, over these petite young dancers who who basically are doing everything they can to please him. Yeah. Because you know they they they, they want to succeed within this industry. Now, question. Do you think he and Lily ever had any sort of interaction? Because obviously throughout the film, it's implied that he is sleeping with Lily. But then when Nina is the white swan and in the performance at the end, she then sees Lily with the dancer. Yeah. And so it's implied, I've always taken it as an implication that Lily was never with Tamar, that Mm -hmm. Nina was always imagining that because of the paranoia. And that there was never anything other than in in Nina's head between Lily and Tamar. Yeah, but I, I, when I watched it uh, the other day, and you see the vision of Lily having sex with Tamar, and it morphs into Nina having sex with a black swan. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the second part is like that definitely didn't happen. <laughs> but I also don't think it did as well because ever since Mila Kunis's character was introduced, we are we we are believed she's introduced to be the the antagonist almost mm-hmm. to uh, to Nina's protagonist, and throughout we know that. We, we by this point we know Nina sees things that either she, either she wants to see to kind of justify maybe what she's going through, mm-hmm. or or potentially things that she believes are actually happening. Mm-hmm. So she's so paranoid that uh, Lily is there to take the black swan to the point where Lily's the uh, Lily's the understudy. Mm-hmm. She's made understudy on that opening night. Lily is applying the black swan makeup. She's you know she's been told she's in the role. 
So Nina is paranoid and and she knows how Tomar works as well. Mm-hmm. She knows that he can use his power. He's tried it on her. Lily, it, she probably thinks Lily would go along with it. She's quite happy to to fuck the boss, maybe. <laughs> and I don't I don't believe that they she did with Tomar with the backup dancer. Yeah, who knows? It's the same. It's the same one that dropped. Uh, Nina as well. Um, though, like it's it's shown, it's not his fault that he drops Nina. Like Nina right. is not correctly spotting. She's looking all over the place. You see her wobbling. So, like that is that is implied. He's not dropped her mm-hmm. because of any like on purpose to help Lily get along. And like I think it's also like no problem with Lily sleeping with a coworker if that's what you want to do and it's consensual. A little bit different when it's your boss, but coworker, is, yeah. coworker, <laughs> if it's consensual. Yeah. And you know, and Lily has the personality of Lily within this film. Mm-hmm. You know, she you know she comes across the sort of person who you know who would get friendly with the backup dancer. Mm-hmm. And that, and of course, I'm not talking about Mila Kunis. I'm talking about the character within the film, mm-hmm. obviously. <laughs> but that is how she's played up. She is played up to be the Yang to Lily's to Nina's Yin. Yeah, Nina is very like sexually repressed for whatever reason. Whereas Lily is seen more of a free spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's not. I, I don't believe that she wouldn't do that. Obviously, Tomar that. I don't believe that happened. I do believe that was Nina's anxiety paranoia. and paranoia mm-hmm. seeping out there. But it is a good question. I have that. I do have that as a note. As you know, she she sees this vision of Lily having sex with Tamar. Mm-hmm. I start to question. Do you want to watch it? What is real and what mm-hmm. is in Nina's head? And that was one of them. So um, I was going to say the same too, but it seems like you have a similar idea. And that's why I like I said, kind of at the start. Obviously, there is a lot to unpack with her mother and there is a lot of damage being done by her mother. But you also, by the end of the film, come to realise just how unreliable a narrator Nina is. Mm -hmm. That how much of what is going on with her mum is real? Yep, exactly. Now now we've obviously unpacked some of it in the last, what, half an hour or Mm. so. There is that. I mean, was it, like I said, she's clearly fragile mentally Mm -hmm. because of what she's been through and this abuse that she's suffered. But like you say, uh, we're we're seeing things from Nina's perspective through a lot of the films from her POV. Who's mm-hmm. to say that? Like I say, those introductory moments or those that first act of the film isn't also from Nina's POV, and it isn't quite as bad as we are led to believe. And mm-hmm. that's another. In- and I love a film that can do that, that can make you think, but can make you question what you thought you knew about it on mm-hmm. second, third, fourth, fifth yeah. viewings. And thankfully, you've just done that for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly, I'm thinking about the effects again. We're talking about that ending, like the moment when her, when uh, Nina's toes fuse together. She's oh, getting herself yeah. ready, and she's like, "Nina's, this is my role." Yeah. And her toes fuse together. One bit in that scene, which I actually, there's not, there's not a lot of comedy in this film. <laughs> it's not a very funny film, but there's a moment where like, the, the the black swan actor, the dude dresses a black swan, he just walks past oh, uh, yeah. Nina, and he's like, oh. You're "Right, <laughs> yeah, right." He just walks past, that's it, and then she's like the fuck and then it just carries on but it's such a realistic scene like i don't yes. know if, like how much kind of stage work you've done but i was like a stage kid and that's just so natural that it's perfect it just it gives you that beat of like okay as an audience member but also as someone who's like being on stage it yep. is just you just see these people walk around in those costumes and it just is normal to you and it's so funny that her entire mind is falling apart and the most abnormal thing is the most normal. Yeah. And it's, and it also adds that level of normality to the film where mm-hmm. I, yeah, I used to work in a, uh, in a theater way back when a cinema mm-hmm. theater, um, which did involve going back and forward like that. And, and you would see these interactions and it also, it's just human, you know, common decency. Hello. Yeah. But 
it adds that kind of level of nor- n- normality to the film. Like you say, Nina's falling apart, Matt here. But you know, this is this is just a dude who's here to do his job, and yeah. he sees a fellow acting. He's like, "You're okay. Hey, you okay?" He doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. But if I if 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 I saw if I was walking through uh, south of England and I saw Claire on the street, you're right. I say hello. It's what you it's what you do. Yeah. Especially if I know who you are. So <laughs> it kind of adds that kind of level of normality that this is actually this is this isn't a dream. This is happening. This is a stage show, a performance. Sorry, mm-hmm. which is happening. It's you know you're not. You're not you're not hallucinating the whole thing, mm-hmm. and it's that kind of one real kind of moment of sort of levity and like, hey, but it's then, <laughs> then it's over in a flash yeah. and it's gone, and I love that. I love that. <laughs> um, any other moments you can think? I mean, again, obviously the whole film, but what else have you got on your notes? I mean, I just got so carried away for the end that I think I think that's kind of it for me. Other than like, it's just all the, it's every it's all the tiny moments in this film. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the climactic ending, but oh. like I said, it's only earned because of all those very small moments with the reflections, with the kind of questioning of who is looking at her, who is she looking at, the the looking over her shoulder for the whole film, and just the quietness of the first hour. It's a good show, actually. Yeah, it, it's a very quiet film until it's not. Yeah, until until the <laughs> until it takes the turn, like yeah. Nina herself. Until the turn happens, and mm-hmm. and it, again, it becomes chaotic. But it's not bosh, bat, click click. So it's not all over the place. It's it. There is a fury throughout the whole film, and it's mm-hmm. just like sea bubbling over. Yeah, and I and I love that. It was probably my favorite thing about the film, other than the performances, the cinematography, the way the film sounds, the editing. Mm-hmm. It's just the atmosphere in itself. Like you say, it's. It's building to something we don't know what. You know, we assume maybe she will get perfection and she'll she'll be lord and she'll go and have a great career. I, I don't know when I'm first watching the film. I assume that you know it's going to have a happy ending, but it's building. It's, it's little moments like we mentioned when we, we see Nina. She is very childlike. She is mm. from her bedroom, from her suppression by her mother, and the way she's when she talks to Tomar when she's asking for the role. She's like, you know, she's so coy and shy. She's the, like, you know, the baby voice. Yeah, like I just, I just want perfection, and mm-hmm. and and then from her to the white swan to the black swan. In between that, you've got uh, like the male dancer. You know, would you have sex with Nina? No, no one would. Your dancing is just as frigid, and that ended up being a real life oh, husband, no. which is like, <laughs> oh, nice hallmark card moment. Um, the, the little moments of Tom, Tom Art seducing Nina to get her passion out, but then sort of pulling back, being like, no, this should be the other way around. Mm. Mila telling Tomar that, uh, sorry, me, um, Lily telling Tomar that Nina was crying and maybe it should go a little bit easy. Nina confronts her. We're starting to see mm. the cracks and the psychological impact, the hallucinations, those moments where it just seems like Nina's constantly getting beaten back. She can't push through. Mm-hmm. The atmosphere's building to something. It's yeah. boiling. And then, like you said, when it finally just goes and we get to that third act, Lily's applying the black swan makeup and Nina slams into the mirror Lily strangles her. It's my turn, and Nina's eyes change. The black swan takes her. She mm-hmm. stabs her. Oh, and when her neck oh. elongates like the swan, yes, oh, it's so good. Oh God! <laughs> so this is what I think about. It. It's like, yeah, everything about this, and and you're going through that last act thinking, oh no, is is Nina going to pull this off? She's going to become the black swan. 
but then she's going to be charged for murder or something. Is, it, is this how it ends? Like the and, dream is gone so and soon. And we is, spend oh. the whole film rooting for Nina because Nina is so delicate and yes. everyone's the villain. Lily's the villain. Tamara's the villain. Her mum's the villain. Winona Ryder's character, Beth, at some point could be the villain. At mm-hmm. no point do we ever think that Nina is the villain. Yeah. But Nina's the villain all along. Nina is the only one that's doing any of this. But you don't. She's her own worst enemy. Yeah. And literally, and that's what you see in the scene where she's attacking herself and stabs herself and turns her neck giant. She is literally her own worst enemy. But we don't know which side of her we want to root for because she doesn't know either. Yeah. And it doesn't feel odd either, like you said, because we are rooting for the whole film because she seems to. She just wants to be the best that she can be. Mm -hmm. But because of all those little moments that happen. When she does like seemingly snap at the end mm-hmm. with Lily, it doesn't see it. It, it feels like it, it still feels in character. It doesn't yeah. feel like a third act shift. Like, hold on, this 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 wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. It's been built up, and obviously before so before earned. the in, exactly before the events of the film, she's you know she this isn't you know her 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 mother suffocating. It didn't begin at the beginning of the film. It's no. been going on for her entire life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when she finally snaps, it doesn't feel. I say unearned. Yeah. I mean, you only have to look at that terrifying painting room to know that that's a weird relationship. Oh, when she sees the hallucination of the Where painting, she's saying, Mummy, yeah. Mummy. Oh, and then she's terrifying. Uh, and then she, her legs snap back in her room and she smacks her head. Because <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, what did you think of the hallucinations of her becoming the black swan? We kind of mentioned it, but there's so many of them. I loved it. I just thought yeah. it was so clever. And like the bit where she actually in the in the performance when she grows the wings it's so over the top but i think it's perfect i think what it did is you think just first wonderful. time you saw it though because obviously 2010 you're this is 11 years on now and mm. as you said it, uh, my viewing ch- tastes have changed since then i always loved this film mm. and uh, but then even then i was at a different time in film and i could have easily what and i can imagine a lot of people going into that thinking and she just turned into a fucking swan <laughs> and thinking it was a bit silly when really it, it clearly isn't I think, what did you think the first time you I saw mean it? I'm trying to remember but I would imagine because at that point I'm obsessed with the fact that she's probably just killed her mother <laughs> or she's definitely killed Lily so I was probably more preoccupied with that but I think I remembered from from my knowledge and my subsequent watchings just thinking it's wonderfully over the top and insane and it's the kind of point of no return where Nina has lost her mind Nina is gone the Nina that was in the first that the other hundred whatever minutes of this film is no more yep she it, could have been, it could have been really over the top of it. it could have gone bad it could have clanged badly mm-hmm. if that scene hadn't been so well executed mm-hmm. I think and I think what's wonderful the the way it saves it is when you're watching it from behind Nina and you're watching her perform and you're watching the wings and it's been threatening to do it the whole movie. We've seen her pulling feathers out of her skin. We've seen her skin rippling and wanting to grow those feathers that when you see it happening, it flows so beautifully with the choreography and with the movement and with the music. But the best thing is you see it from behind and you see the silhouette of her new wings and her feathers. And then it snaps to the shot from the audience looking at Nina. And Nina is just Nina. She's not a swan, but her shadow is. It's the swan. Both the shadows are the swan. And I just thought that's such a beautiful shot of Nina in the middle, but she has two shadows and both of them are swans. And it just sums up that one shot could sum up the whole film. 
God, I get goosebumps now. <laughs> thinking about it. And I don't like to be spoon fed with films too much, but mm-hmm. I, I, I do appreciate the fact that Aronofsky did give us that the crowd PO view. Mm-hmm. So for those who you know may have been watching and thinking, I'm, I'm not sure what's <laughs> happening, they can now see. Okay, this is just a, All in her head. You know, a visual. Yes, a visual. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not literal. Yeah. She has metaphorically become the black swan mm-hmm. within her mind. She, mm-hmm. The transformation has happened, but the crowd are just seeing uh, a performer just like hit that peak, exploding mm-hmm. onto the scene, basically. Yeah. And then, like you say, the, the shadows is a beautiful touch. And it could have been OTT. It could have been a bit, it could have been quite bad if they'd done it wrong. But it's subtle music... enough because of the music, because of how far yes. back you are. It's not like, like you could not notice the swan shadows i don't even know in my first watch if i did i always notice it now because i'm looking for it but you could just be looking at nina you might not notice the shadows it's exactly subtle enough that it's there for you if you want to see it and if you don't want to see it then you don't have to yep but we saw it and we bloody love it (laughs) it's it's the music you're right from behind because i I don't i like to i don't imagine that her face but grew a beak or anything like that (laughs) but uh, from behind obviously with the light she's she's front lit it's just a stunning, mm-hmm. stunning image, and like with, and also with the crowd as well. Like the majesty of that moment mm-hmm. is caught so perfectly, and the rest of the film building up to it, it's got that grainy, grimy look that Aronofsky does so well, mm-hmm. especially in the wrestler, uh, the way he films on uh, actual film, the sixteen mil, I think he filmed this on. Mm-hmm. So the film itself kind of films a bit grubby. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, if you feel a bit, it's not, dirt, it's not, you don't feel dirty watching it. It feels natural. It feels natural, yeah. The, the, you know, her bedroom was a set. I don't know about the dance studio, if that was a real dance studio I think they not. filmed in, in, a, in a studio in New I, York. It does feel like it must have been a real one, but the apartment was a set, and yeah. you wouldn't know. It does feel like it could be a real apartment, and I think it, it's a very naturalistic film, despite the bonkers story and, you know, the amount of VFX shots in it. It's a very natural film. Yeah, and and that's why the, for me that ending works so well because it is that explosion. We've got mm-hmm. the the natural grounded uh, aesthetic throughout the whole film, and then and then when we get to this grand performance of this you know beautiful um, ballet mm-hmm. show, it does it it captures that glory so well with the music, mm-hmm. and it feels. It, it, it get you feel like you're there in the moment. Yeah. You don't feel like you're in the kind of grimy 16 millimeter film we've just seen. You feel like you're at a performance, mm-hmm. and goddamn, was it perfect? Yeah, you you feel you you're you're cheering with her, and you feel like you've almost earned it as well. Yeah, and when she uh, ascends the cliff of finale, and the blood Oof. appears, and it just gets it, it's it's epic, mm-hmm. but in it's so many different ways. And mm-hmm. where she leaps off, and he's like you said earlier, she takes her congratulations, but she. And she's bleeding out on the mat, mm-hmm. and the, the pure visceral image of that is what a way to end the film. I'm glad we didn't get anything else after that. I'm glad we mm-hmm. just got the fade to white, and that was it. And they didn't do like a funeral shot or mm-hmm. or anything else, or like the crowd pouring out saying, yeah, "Wow, you just wasn't that great?" The show is over. The curtains are closed. Yeah, exactly. Been- you know, the, the world fades away with a smile, type thing almost. Mm-hmm. But and I love that. So, Christ Almighty, what a great film! <laughs> um, I, I get that's almost all of it for me mm. um apart from that pervy old man on the on the subway just oh yeah ugh, i could do could do with less of that but very natural know, though i was gonna say we know that was exactly unrealistic as well but, um was there anything and again if, if there isn't anything no bother was there anything which wasn't quite up to the standard of the rest of the film that jumped out to you there's nothing for me personally i think 
it's an opportunity is something that I wasn't aware of until the last couple of years is the kind of controversy around Black Swan and Perfect Blue, mm. um, which is an anime film, which I actually, I, I did watch before this. I see that, yes. <laughs> um, so there is some controversy about how heavily Black Swan was influenced by Perfect Blue. Yeah. Now, having watched Perfect Blue, I don't think it was, but it is the story of a young girl who is part of a pop band who wants to go and be an actress. So she starts taking on very dark, gritty roles as an actress where she's like raped on screen and it's very dark. And so she starts having these hallucinations about being stalked and people attacking her and like people like murdering it's a very dark anime it's really kind of messed up it's very good but it's very like oh my god and I've not watched that much anime so I was like oh this is dark um (laughs) but there are a couple of especially towards the end I won't spoil it but there are a couple of scenes and shots that I'm like yeah having seen both films I can see how you could say that Aronofsky has been influenced by it it's not a rip-off it's not a remake but you can see that like Aronofsky may have seen certain scenes and been heavily influenced by them. The controversy comes from the fact that Aronofsky actually owns some of the rights to Perfect Blue. Ooh, he, the plot thickens now. Yeah, so he bought... I can't remember what version of rights he owns to it, but he owns something because he copied a shot for shot from it for Requiem for a Dream, I believe it was. There was a shot mm-hmm. in Requiem for a Dream that is directly lifted from Perfect Blue. because The, the he, overhead shots, was it? I think so. He yeah. really, really liked that scene. So it just doesn't... He has now, like, vermintly denied that Black Swan was in any way influenced by Perfect Blue in any way, shape or form. And it's like... Why don't you just say that you like Perfect Blue and you like Black Swan and maybe there are some links? Like, why are you why are you denying it so much? Tarantino's made a career out of it. Of yeah. I've, I've ripped that off from every other film known to man. So it's, it's the whole thing of, you know, thou doth protest too much. He's yep. he's so, like, there's, it's not in any way anything to do with Perfect Blue. And seeing them both together in a short space of time, they're very different films. They've got very different topics, but there are similarities. And there are a couple of kind of sequences where you can see, like, oh, yeah, that does that does make sense. I can see how one could have influenced the other in small ways. So I just am like, why is he so aggro about the fact that no, nothing at all? And it's like, we, we all know you've seen it because you've been influenced by it for a different you film. You bloody rights to it, mate. Yeah. You know what it is. <laughs> so it's just like, it's great if it was an influence. Like, they're different enough films that there's no, no one's going to come at you. Like it just, yeah, it just strikes me as odd. Um, but I did, I did like Perfect Blue. I prefer Black Swan. Um, yeah. I found it a lot more accessible. I found the ballet nice, and I found it a lot less. Like there are some disturbing scenes in Perfect Blue. Um, but I thought it did make quite a good companion to it. Um, and yeah, I just think the controversy is weird because I don't think that they're that alike that they need to be compared that much. But I also think that he's made a rod for his own back. By denying it so much. <laughs> well, I've I've caught Aronofsky out now. Perfect blue, black swan, colours. <laughs> we've nailed you, Aronofsky. <laughs> we've we've cancelled you. Um, Aronofsky, I like him as a director. He does strike me as a kind of um, Nicholas Winding Refn type. Mm-hmm. Who again, I like Refn for the most part, but he's very cocksure as well. He's very, very like no. 
this is my vision and it's all it's totally mine and mm-hmm. only God forgives us a masterpiece it isn't um, <laughs> whereas there is with Aronofsky strikes me with that he's a man who's so dedicated to his craft that the idea that he's created something which wasn't from his own mind would almost be insulting to mm-hmm, him mm-hmm. And it's, it's, just nothing wrong with that without George Lucas watching a shit ton of Japanese film and Kurosawa we don't get Star Wars yeah. and he's come out and said hey, I've ripped them off basically yeah and that's it and that perfect Black Swan is not a rip off of Perfect Blue it's mm-hmm. just that yeah you can see how one would influence the other so it's like dude no one's gonna be mad at you but it's fine <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to be in fact and that's it no art is original anyway everything's yeah. built upon something else and that, that's that's that is a I'm glad you watched Perfect Blue because I haven't seen it I haven't got I know it's, again it's a for me it's a, it's a sweet spot it's only an hour and a half perfect mm. um is it worth a watch though just as a film yeah i did i did enjoy it um i kind of want to watch it again because i feel like i'd get more out of it for a second watch and um, i found it a little bit confusing especially because i think i thought it would be more like black swan because of the controversy and it wasn't so i was like oh wait what what's happening um and like black swan it has an ending that once you've seen the ending so much of the beginning of the film you view in a different light mm-hmm. that I would like to re-watch it and give it a second go but I still did really enjoy it it's very well done and I can see why people who love it love it um I just I find sometimes animation can be more gruesome than real life yeah. and there were a few scenes that I was like I feel queasy mm-hmm. I I've only just kind of started on any kind of anime journey. Mm-hmm. I, I've I've only just recently watched the classics like Akira, Ghost in the Shell. I mean, strike strike me down. I guys, only but... watched uh, Studio Ghibli, and I've only watched four of them like six months ago. So I, I went. For that. I went. <laughs> I went from like you know my neighbour Totoro to two months later watching Perfect Blue, and there's quite. I think I missed <laughs> a few the, steps. Jesus, yeah, fuck me, this is different. Well, I'm glad we're on the same train with this end, but yeah. I would like to get into more of it because absolutely there's so much out there and. A lot of people tell me that some of the best stories are in there, but mm-hmm. like you say, animation you can you can usually you can sometimes get away with it a bit more because you can hide behind the fact that hey, it's not really happening. Mm-hmm. I know a film isn't, but it's like it's live action. Mm-hmm. You now with animation, you can like, well, yeah, their guts are falling out, but it's only a cartoon. Oh, it's even like there's a particular character in it that just his face made me feel physically nauseous. Um, oh wow! Yeah, it just he's he's meant to make you uncomfortable on the screen, and he really really does it maybe like i was just like i don't like it i don't like it i want him to go away <laughs> well, watch this now it sounds it sounds interesting <laughs> it, um, it is interesting well i'd like to watch it just to see what the comparisons are because mm-hmm. I, I i'd heard that and i remember you i think you posted a shot mm-hmm. of, of the perfect blue uh Blu-ray disc, when it arrived yeah Blu-ray, that's right yeah i was like oh sweet um <laughs> because i I'd, I'd heard of the the controversy but i wasn't where of the comparisons too much because I haven't seen the film so yeah. I couldn't and I was I exactly say, the yeah. same and I, I was on a podcast last year and mentioned Black Swan is one of my favourite films and the first question they're like oh but have you seen Perfect Blue and I was like no and they were like oh and I was like okay so I was like when you invited me to do this I was like right this time now I'm watching Perfect <laughs> Blue and now you've seen it and you were grossed out by it so sorry <laughs> apologies for that sorry I can't think of anything. You mentioned a scene where Beth just like you know, cutting her face open. You could take that out. Was it a bad scene? No. Did it did it impact my viewing or did it ruin the flow? No. So no. it's in there. Great. There's nothing in this film which I think like, derails any of the momentum. No. I don't, there's nothing in it which I think, yeah, I wasn't as hot on that moment. And I genuinely mean that. And uh, again, I'm racking my brains desperately, but nope. I, I, genuinely, I, I, don't, I don't think any of the performances were over the top. I think Aronofsky could have 
delivered something completely different. We mentioned a black swan scene at the end mm-hmm. when she finally uh, allows herself to become the swan and on stage. Uh, Barbara Hershey could have been, could have got an uh, old Winona Ryder, could have gone full ham. Mm-hmm. Vin- Va- um, Vincent Cassell, you know, he could have been, he could have been uh, unconvincing in his role or Mila Kunis may not have hit the, the beats for the black swan, her, her characterization. I think everything's great. I think I can't think of anything mm-hmm. which I didn't like in this film. No, it, it's, pitched perfectly yep and there you go it's pitched perfectly um I, the one bit of trivia i did find was that natalie portman actually had to modify her voice to mm-hmm. lose a childlike quality but then she kind of went went places she didn't want to go back to because she had to revert back to it she spent she spent so much time trying to try to mature her voice that in the beginning of the film she had to go back to this you know the, the the voice that she apparently used to have, mm-hmm. and she said it was a bit painful to do that. Yeah, and I could see it, like I rewatched Mars Attacks last week, just coincidentally. I kind so of, did I. <laughs> I kind of forgot Natalie Portman was in it, and um, she's very young in it. But yeah, she has yeah. like such a kind of sickly <laughs> sweet young voice that yeah. it sounds put on in Black Swan. But then when you watch Mars Attacks, you're like, oh no, that kind of almost is her voice. Yeah, that, that was what she was like. Yeah. I'm going through the Natalie Portman filmography in a minute. <laughs> this is a kind of like a, um, I don't know, a passion project. I, 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 certain, like certain actors and actresses, I mean, like anything Natalie Portman's in, I'd watch. Mm-hmm. Now, if her name's on even something like crap, like Lucy in the Sky, I, will, I and I liked uh, Vox Lux. I was, I was about to say, have be you seen Vox Lux? Yeah, I I, pref- I liked her in it. I, I preferred the first the half to that rather than her half. Yes, and there was nothing wrong with her half. I just think the first half was better. Well, and it just I meandered think, a bit as well for me. Yeah, that you didn't need both. It, it need one. It needed to be one film, and it was trying to be two films, and so it felt yeah. overly long. And I think. The first half seemed quite natural, which meant that then her over-the-top performance almost mm-hmm. felt a little bit overacted. Yeah, no, I I, I completely hear that, mm. um, and I, I was hoping, excuse me, for more from the film, but I liked it still. I, I mean, I haven't clamoured to have a rewatch of it. Mm-hmm. I've only seen it once, but anything. But then she's also in Jackie before that, and I thought she was excellent in that. I've still not seen Jackie. It's one that I need to catch. I really liked her mm. in that, and I like her in most things, even in the bad films. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, she's good in that. But I'm going through all of her, like the films I haven't seen of hers, mm-hmm. and some I hadn't heard of either. Um, <laughs> I've also been doing the same with Ryan Gosling and people like Harrison Ford and. Oh, it's no, quite no. interesting to, to, uh, as well. But Natalie Portman, I'll always watch a film she's in. And um, Aronofsky, I, any idea what he's up to at the minute in terms of his like, work he's, he's doing? Or? I feel like he was meant to be doing something, but I have no idea what it was. I do feel like he had announced he was doing something, that something is in the works. But he's one of those directors that often gets like attached to stuff and then six months later isn't attached to it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure whatever I saw mentioned in a headline has been and gone. Um as long as he hasn't watched any other films so he can't be accused of nicking <laughs> film. I mean look at look, look at something like the red shoes from like the forties. Mm. Pretty much the same story as it kind of yeah. as this is a dancer who wants to get the big time and yeah, as you you see what happens at the end of that film, mm. that's a direct kind of like lift of from here as well. Yeah. It's not exactly the same, but the premise is. And uh, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to see what he thought about that as well. But mm. according to uh, Darren Aronofsky's Wikipedia, he's currently he's a he's, he's filming a film called The Whale, which stars Brendan Fraser. That's I it. was going to say I knew there was something yes. weird about it, and it's because it's Brendan Fraser. It's weird, <laughs> you know, but like an odd yeah, casting yeah. or an odd connection. Of or, course, yeah, yeah, because Brendan Fraser hasn't done anything in a really long time. No, he's done a bit of TV, but 
other than that, yeah. not a lot. Uh, I don't know what it, A24 is producing this film. Nice. Uh, it's uh, here we go. The plot of this film, this will, this will get you. A 600 pound middle aged man named Charlie tries to reconnect with his 17 year old daughter. The two grew apart after Charlie abandoned his family for his gay lover, who later died. Charlie then went on to binge eating out of pain. So um, it's going to be a hoot by the sounds of it. I mean, what? I mean, it's Aronofsky. Of course it's going to be comedy. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the baby scene in Mother? <laughs> who could forget such a joyous scene? The fridge scene in Requiem for a Dream? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, I, I, the more I think about it, and I love the fight. It's like the whole of the fight was just misery, but I really like that film as mm. well. Uh, he's also apparently directing and writing a film called Adrift, which is in pre-production. Mm. He's got two films on the go at the minute, one filming and one in pre-prod. So that's interesting. Fingers crossed. I mean, yeah, Mother came out in, what, 2016? So it's been a while. 2017, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, well, he's due. And I yeah, do like due. that about him, that he does take his time between films. So the only ones I haven't seen, I haven't seen Pi, because I'm a moron. Um, <laughs> it's like how the only Quentin Tarantino film I hadn't seen for like forever was Pulp Fiction. It's like, why would that be the one that I for some reason skipped? Uh, I have now seen it. Uh, Jackie Brown sitting right there. I've it's, only it's... seen half of Jackie Brown, so I do need to go and actually... I watched it with my brother when I was far too young, so I don't remember <laughs> most of it. So I do need to like properly watch that. But I'd never seen any of Pulp Fiction. But yeah, with Aronofsky, I'd never see, I've never seen Pi. And then I've also not seen because I don't I was actually about to say what did you think of Noah? I don't support Noah in any way shape or form I don't support Russell Crowe as an actor and I don't support kind of epics as a genre so <laughs> an epic biblical story starring Russell Crowe even <laughs> from Aronofsky I was just like you know what I'm good but, but not for me yeah. that's fair dues no um I I, I, I thought Noah was mm, mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are kind of like, mm, it's just fine. It's a it film. Is it is. <laughs> it's a strange kind of like, strange coming from Aronofsky, this film, because to me, it doesn't feel like an Aronofsky film when I watch it. It's, it, like I said, it's an ep- epic biblical drama, mm. but it, 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 there's a lot going on which doesn't feel quite as personal as a lot of his other films do. I wonder if he needed to do it to get the money for Mother or something. That. Is a good point. A lot of directors do that. They'll do a bigger project. But it's so they not can... like, I guess, for an Aronofsky, it's a very big project. I said it's not like it's not like a Marvel film, but I guess for Aronofsky, it's a, he's he's very it's small. A departure. Yeah, it's a departure, which is why I was just like, I don't need that. Exactly. And Black Swan made just as much money as Noah did. Mm. So, and it's an infinitely better film. But if you yeah. like Noah out there, great. Um, <laughs> it wasn't great. Yeah, I, 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 I'm interested in what Aronofsky does next. He's, he's a look. He's He's lauded by the Academy. He's been nominated for five or six Oscars, mm-hmm. uh, including uh, Best Director, as we've mentioned as well. So mm-hmm. he's and he and Mother got people talking, well, polarized it, people. Yeah, it was very polarizing. So it'll be very interesting to see if he doubles down on that. Because even though you know, Requiem for a Dream is very dark, it I felt like Requiem for a Dream was always revered. I don't feel like mm. it ever. The only controversy was just it's very dark. I don't I think, think the only controversy is it's a hard watch. Yeah, I don't think any of the controversy was ever about its quality. It was only about the content being very intense. Whereas yeah. Mother, lots of people said it was just bad as well, and I'm like, no, like you can say mm. you didn't like it. You can say that it like some people I'm sure would say it was inappropriate, but I don't 
think that you can say it was badly crafted. I felt like Jennifer Lawrence gave an astounding performance. Yep. Javier Bardem, brilliant. I mean, always great. All of the cast, you know, um, oh Michelle Pfeiffer, like mm-hmm. Ed every, Harris. Yeah, they're all brilliant in it, and I thought it was so well crafted and again so well choreographed. That whole second half of the film is almost like a one take. Um, that's not easy to do and it's done so well um that yeah it's very interesting it it will be very interesting to see what he follows it up with because i'm very much in support of mother but i want him to go even more batshit well i i love a director who challenges your audience Mm -hmm. it doesn't always mean it's going to be a winner Mm -hmm. but the the whale i mean what a insensitive title Uh, (laughs) again that sounds like that may go that may go places as well a guy Mm -hmm. who's binge eating because uh of the death of his lover and uh, 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 how it's affected his relationship with family. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's, that's, I imagine, going to be very top level. Yeah. Synopsis. I think it's going to be deeper than that. There's some wonderful stuff in, like, I think when you, I haven't seen The Wrestler in a long time. I was actually going to rewatch it the other day, but I decided it's not, you know, life's tough at the moment and it's not been the best <laughs> week. And I just felt as much as yeah. I love The Wrestler and it's such a beautiful film. So I don't think I need that in my life at the moment. No, you just put, it's, put, just put a Simpsons on or something. Yeah, but there's some, one of the most wonderful things which I often forget about The Wrestler is that it is a story of a man trying to reconnect with his daughter. And it's one of the things that sells that film so well. So mm-hmm. he was able to do that really successfully in The Wrestler. I'd imagine he will equally be successful in doing that in The Whale. Yeah, again, well said. And uh, Aronofsky himself said, you know, people consider the wrestler wrestling to be the lowest form of art. Mm-hmm. People consider ballet to be the highest form of art. You know, in fact, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. And the two films themselves, as he said, are, they're almost like a companion piece yeah. within each other. Like the the they what you put your body through to mm-hmm. get that performance uh, in the wrestler at night in night out in Black Swan mm-hmm. to hit the peak of becoming. Like the greatest, the prima ballerina. Yeah, you could you can quite easily watch them back to back. It wouldn't be a very like it wouldn't be the most happy re- uh, double act, double team. But that's it. it. If and you want to watch two good films, at least Black Swan's an easier watch because whilst Black Swan is quite dark and can be depressing, there's a grandeur to it and yes. a, a lot a luxury, a lush element to it because of the ballet and the theatre. Whereas the wrestler is very gritty. It's very sweaty, pretty. isn't it? Yeah. It's so it doesn't, sweaty. even though the content and the story is very similar, even though the tone of Black Swan is small and quiet and dark and realistic, there is still that lush element because it is the ballet and there's pretty ladies going around in gorgeous makeup and tutus, you know, whereas the wrestler, yeah. it's like these these men are being beaten. <laughs> these units are sweating yeah. and getting battered, yeah. Uh, it doesn't have quite the same lustre to it, no. but the impact is still the same though, so... Mm. Um, well, is there anything else you wanted to mention about uh, Black Swan then? Just that it's a wonderful movie and if you haven't watched it, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you may have guessed we like this film. But yeah, if you haven't seen the film, that's what happens in it, by the way. <laughs> it's really good. Um, well, thank you so much, Claire. I think that wraps up our episode. Thank you so much for giving up your time this evening thank to come talk to Black me. Swan. Anytime. Well, I mentioned, well, we've mentioned, you've mentioned W-rated podcast and all of, and your other ventures online. If people have just heard you and thought, this Claire sounds are great. And if I haven't, <laughs> why don't you? Where, where can the world find you and listen to you online? Um, so you can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Claire Ellen Hope, Claire without an I. Um, and then you can find the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, on Amazon. And um, the handle is W Rated Pod. Um, and we release episodes fortnightly. Um, and we're not doing any order. So you can dip in and out 
as much as you like. Some people, we've got a couple of people who are watching along with us. Insane. Um, <laughs> but, you know, misery loves company, so it's fun. <laughs> That's it, sadists. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go and have a dip then. And uh, go check it out. Go support the work uh, Claire's doing uh, and her co-host. Check out, check her out. Go follow her. Claire likes to talk film. So if you like to talk film, you're going to have fun there as well. Um, if you want to find me, what I watch tonight.co.uk, search what I watch tonight across all the socials and lucky you, you'll see my face pop up. Uh, we're also, I'm also on Letterboxd as well. Really should start reviewing films a bit more often, but it's lockdown, isn't it? Here we are. Cinemas are reopening. Godzilla versus Kong's coming soon. Um, I'm not sure what I think about that, but. Do you, um, have you chosen a team? Oh, Godzilla, mate. Yeah. All the way. Because, <laughs> and I know people say Kong and, you know, but he's a, and I know the, Godzilla's a, a nuclear beast literally <laughs> literal nuclear dragon beast and he's look at him and the, the trailers have gone the, the original trailers were very much look at kong beating godzilla up and i'm thinking that's not gonna last <laughs> i can't do what about yourself are you gonna tell me you're kong no so i have not seen any i've seen the very original king kong movie like from like the yep. 20s and then i've not seen a single other king kong or godzilla film so i don't have enough skin in the game to have the knowledge but just from looking at them i agree with you like king kong is obviously a beast but i feel like godzilla's like a nuclear weapon so he could literally burn a hole through him from about 100 meters away yeah so like i'm sure kong has some attitude towards him but i and i don't know enough about either of them i don't know their stats to really weigh it up but just <laughs> the tail of the tape yeah from from an outsider's perspective i'm just like well obviously it's the big nuclear dragon thing <laughs> Yeah, you do. You would think that like, this guy's huge. He breathes fire, and the other one's a big monkey. Yeah. He's a big ape. He could, you know, beat his chest and look intimidating. But you know, what's he bring? What's he bring into the party? What's his arsenal all about? And I, I the, the buzz for the film's fairly good, actually. Um, it is what I thought it was going to be by the sounds of it. The 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 Titans fighting is great, and the humans are bloody annoying by the sounds of it. But this is what to expect, isn't it? But. Um, Looking forward to cinemas reopening. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like what you've just heard and you know there's somebody out there who loves Black Swan or Aronofsky, let them know there's a couple of film fans who've just spent an hour and 40-odd minutes <laughs> chatting about Black Swan and how much we love it. Uh, and if you've got a spare 30 seconds, please do throw five stars our way on your podcast provider of choice because it gets to show out to more people. Uh, and it means I get to engage with more film fans. Keep it polite because we're all here because we like film. So no need for any silliness. But one more time, Claire, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It has been really, really fun. It's been a blast and I hope to do it again one day. Mm -hmm. And for everybody listening, stay safe, take care and see you.